Welcome to this conversation with two of our favorite forward movement authors, Kate Moorhead, author of Angels of the Bible, Finding Grace, Beauty, and Meaning, and Lindsay Harden Freeman, author of the best-selling Bible Women, All Their Words and Why They Matter. Welcome, Kate, Lindsay. Thanks for being here with us today to talk about the role of women and the role of angels in the Bible. Thank you, Rochelle. Good to be here. So we've had some great conversations already, exploring Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel and the angel who visits Eve at the gate of the Garden of Eden. And then in our last conversation, we talked about Hagar and her encounter with an angel of the Lord. And today we'll visit with Mary Magdalene, a relatively well-known figure in the Bible, but one who has some misconceptions. So first, let's talk about who Mary Magdalene is. What do we know about her? Where does she fit in the biblical story? Well, she's one of the main characters in the Gospels. And what's so interesting about Mary Magdalene is how much she's been sidelined through the centuries. Uh, she's equal in, in importance and, and significance to Peter, but yet um, often not talked about as much. Um, there's also this grave misconception throughout the centuries of her being a prostitute. Um, and there, is a, there isn't even a word for prostitute in the Gospels in the ancient Greek um, uh, so how did she become this sexual symbol is a really interesting thing to muse about. Um, but she was a, a very devout follower of Jesus. And we know that Jesus um, healed her, that she had seven demons. And then she became one of his closest disciples and a witness to the resurrection. Lindsay, anything you want to add? I know you've spent a lot of time in your life. Um, lifting up the voices of women in the Bible. And I thought it was interesting. Kate talked about Mary Magdalene being sidelined. What is your response or your feelings about that? Sidelined in the sense of people misunderstanding her. She has a pretty big impact on the um, Easter Sunday lectionary. We hear, hear about her quite often. Here's what the Bible says about Mary Magdalene. She was healed by Jesus from seven demons she traveled on the road with Jesus' disciples, at least some of the time. She stood at the foot of the cross. She was the first to see and talk with Jesus after the resurrection, and she proclaimed him as the Christ. She is mentioned in all four Gospels. Um, interestingly enough, we do not hear from her verbally until after Jesus has died at the encounter at the tomb. We think we know her. We have all these... Uh, this data in the Bible of where she was and what she was doing, but she only speaks, I think it's uh, 61 words. So it's a pretty big impact for somebody who, who we don't even hear from until after Jesus has died, but she does show up continually through all the Gospels. Yeah, and what's so interesting is though, she's a major character as in, in the four Gospels. She is gone in the book of Acts. She just sort of falls off the face of the earth. And we do not know what happened to her. She was so essential you know, as the, the, the Eastern Orthodox call her the apostle to the apostles, because she proclaimed that Christ had risen and told the disciples that. But then she just doesn't appear again in the early church. Um, and that's always been a mystery. And how unusual is it in this period of time for a woman to have such a significant role in ministry? It depends how we define ministry, because there were a number of women in the Bible, Mary and Martha of Bethany in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, Mary, Jesus's mother, several of them. But Mary Magdalene is, when her name comes in with the rest of them, she's usually right at the top. So she's seen as a leader among women. So it is unusual in the sense, I think, that men are 
we know who they are, we know what they were doing, and then here is this company of women that just arises at different places, but sees Jesus all the way through, collectively from his birth through the tomb and afterwards. So it's unusual, but it's um, not in that there are a number of women that, that go with Jesus on his travels. Yeah, and Jesus himself was so very open to women as human beings. I mean, the longest conversation he has about himself as the Christ is with the women at the well. So he has these amazing conversations with women and he engages with them um, in a way that men did not do. So um, it's remarkable to think about how... Um, how much he related to them and how much he loved them as, as people. That's wonderful to hear. And it's so interesting to, as we talk about Mary Magdalene, I want to dive right in um, to the idea of, of the seven demons that she was plagued with. What are those demons? What does that mean? I think that the concept of demon was an umbrella term in the time of Jesus. It was one of those terms that they used to refer to things that they could not see and could not understand. Um, today, we have many more very specific medical terms or even sanitized terms for some of the things that they would have called demons, like epilepsy, for example. I mean, if someone just suddenly falls on the floor and starts foaming at the mouth, they would have thought of that as a demon. Um, some of the things that today we would call mental health issues like cutting yourself or speaking to things that aren't there. Uh, and it's, I think it's really important to reclaim some of the spiritual language, but we have to be very careful not to condemn people. In fact, in the time of Jesus, the demoniac was never condemned. It was, um, they were considered innocent. Something was possessing them. Um, something was taking them over, and um, the idea was to take that thing out. Um, and so, I do, I do believe that there are um, there are things that possess all of us. Um, you know, if you talk to someone who's an alcoholic, they hear voices telling them to drink. You know, they have thoughts that are definitely not healthy thoughts. We all have those thoughts. Even Jesus was tempted by the devil and had temptation can't come to him. So it's a very broad concept, and I think we need to engage with it again. I also think it's, though, a very important to be careful in how we engage with it, because we're not calling anyone evil. Um, but we are talking about a battle, a spiritual battle that goes on in the mind, and I think we all need to understand that, that we can be tempted and we can um, be led to do things that are not good and not healthy if we're not careful. So in, in this healing, um, Kate, I've heard you talk a little bit about that the demons are angels of some sort. Is, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, in the scripture, it's certainly the case that, that demons are uh, angels that have fallen, angels that have chosen. Angels obviously have some kind of free will, according to the scripture. Um, so just like the fact that we could be influenced by angels that bring us to goodness and to God and to beauty. We could also be influenced by spiritual forces that lead us into darkness. Um, and I do think that that is a very um, healthy thing to think about, that, we're, that there are influences within our minds and in our world that call us to either of those two options. And we as free human beings have a choice to make. Um, so yeah, the demon was considered a... Um, a fallen angel and Satan being the chief among them. Um, but the problem is we've so cartoonized and 
um, sidelined and misconceived all this stuff that it, it becomes rather frightening to us and sort of fundamentalist and condemnatory. And then many Episcopalians just sort of wiped it off, it sort of erased it because we just couldn't handle all that complexity. Lindsay, when you hear this from uh, the perspective of your scholarship with women in the Bible, what does it bring to mind for you? Well, I think it's a really interesting angle. And I think about those those wild uh, boars or pigs uh, that mm-hmm, were yeah. taken over by by the demons. And I know throughout the Bible, we see we see reference to uh, God. What's interesting in the in the Hebrew Bible is if you think of uh, Saul on the battlefield the night before he died and when he visited the witch of Endor, is that it says that God put a demon into him because God was not happy the way he was. He wasn't killing enough, enough people ferociously enough in battle. And so so I'm, I, I think it's an interesting idea because it gets into the whole idea of evil. And, and Kate, you talk about Episcopalians kind of blowing things off. Well, we, we don't like to say the word Satan, even though, even no, though we say it in yeah. the biblical uh, or in the <laughs> baptismal service, it makes us very uncomfortable. And so, and I, and I appreciate your, um, your thoughts about, we have to be careful about the way we say this because we're all pretty sensitive and we all, many people go to therapists and we all very sensitive and, but all, I'm wondering, I, I have a sense of, of Jesus healing Mary Magdalene, both physically and spiritual and emotionally. So I can see the part about demons and mental illness and epilepsy, but what about my mind goes, well, well, she had a form of cancer. She had a broken arm. I mean, I'm curious to know if you're the scope of demons. Do you see it as just an emotional thing or physical thing? Or how do you see the scope of demons? Well, I mean, in the Gospels, in the Greek, they usually distinguish between healings and exorcisms, and healings are usually for physical illnesses. But certainly, you're right, a cancer could cause someone to act strange. Demon was something that that someone couldn't see, but it could have been, I mean, epilepsy is a physical thing. It's a physical disorder. It's not a mental health condition. But it would be considered a demon because you can't see it. You can see a broken arm. You can see a tumor even if it if it starts coming out of the body uh so it was a very i don't think they had the kind of um clear definitions that we do um a demon was something that wasn't good that seemed to take over a person either to cause them grave illness or cause them instability mentally um and i don't think they needed the kind of uh, strict definitions that we do today so it was a it was a broad term well what interests me is that Jesus clearly believed in demons. Oh, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, it's not just the disciples. It's not just the guy on the side of the road or the woman on the side of the road. Jesus is talking about demons, so we have to take them seriously. Right, exactly. And And the fact that they counted seven, now seven was considered a whole number, but mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene must have had different things going on. It clearly wasn't one issue. There were a number of things going on, so she had multiple issues. Well, what what gives me strength in looking at her and what interests me is that she had dealt with the demons in her own soul. She had dealt with the darkness in her own soul. Exactly. And that gave her, in my mind, the strength to go into the darkness of the tomb when Yes, exactly. And, and to come out with something. And, and it's such a great, one of the things I love about her is she can be a saint for all of us who are struggling and who felt depression or anxiety. And almost everybody in some way or another has some kind of issues that they've had to deal with. 
she gives us a role model of, of the person who's really suffered and gotten in the dirt and messed around and struggled. And in her struggle becomes the greatest disciple because, she, like Lindsay said, she's not afraid of the tomb. She, she is the one person present at the cross in all four of the Gospels. No one else can make that claim. She doesn't leave. Everybody else runs away. Well, she doesn't leave because she's already been in the pit, you know. I got chills going through me when you talk about that, thinking yeah. of her um, getting ready to go to the tomb on that cold morning. And Rochelle, forgive us if we're jumping ahead here. It's just so exciting to think about things. And, Jump ahead. Um, I, love, I love the conversation and I love where it's going. Well, but let's just jump right into that then. Um, Lindsay, take us to the tomb. Um, where it's Well, I'm talking from the Gospel of John, right. um, where it's the where it's the... That's my favorite gospel to look at, and that's chapter 20 is where we see the most when it comes to Mary Magdalene, the most of Mary. So she's gone to the tomb on that cold, cold morning, and I believe she went to say goodbye, to finish the job, to take that moment because she wouldn't leave her friend. She wouldn't let him just vanish off into darkness. She wouldn't let Jesus just go. So she's gone to anoint him. There's different stories, and they're gone to anoint him, gone to say goodbye, and she goes in there and um, it's empty as we know. And this is of course coming up on, on the greatest biblical story of all time, but let me switch to, I, I can take you to this story, but let me switch to Kate here because right away, Mary Magdalene sees the two angels there. Yeah. So she's, she comes into the darkness and um, faces this incredible grief and fear and walks right into it. And there are the angels, which tells you a lot about going into the midst of your fear or learning about your own suffering, because that's where God often meets us. Um, and the angels basically just say, he's, he's not here. <laughs> Don't look in the pit anymore. He's already gone. He's risen, which is wonderful. And of course, angels are present in the tomb in all four of the Gospels. So they're there waiting to give us that pivotal news that angels often are standing on the bridge between earth and heaven. And they often are present to tell us something we couldn't otherwise hear. And I don't think the news of the resurrection was something that that she could have taken in without the presence of some kind of extraordinary celestial presence to wake her up a little bit. But even still, she's not completely awake because she goes out into the garden and sees Jesus, but doesn't recognize him, which is such a beautiful story. So Kate, that's interesting. It raises a question for me. Um, why did the angels need to be there? I mean, why not have Jesus just directly talk to Mary Magdalene? And I, I'm interested in your thought that it was to, to prepare her for that um, unbelievable news of Jesus actually being there, that to see those angels kind of helped her open herself up to possibilities that she hadn't imagined before. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of them as like interpreters, translators, bridge builders. Like we can't sometimes encounter the direct interaction with God. It's just too powerful, too much for us. So we need someone to say, God's coming, get ready, <laughs> you know, or, or God says this to you because, you know, if, if God spoke directly to us, we, I don't know, we'd explode or go crazy or something. Um, so it's interesting when Mary Magdalene first gets to the tomb, she realizes that Jesus is just not there and she runs to get Peter, Peter and John run back um, to the tomb. John gets there first, but then Peter 
goes into and nothing is there and it's empty. But then when she goes back, that's when she sees the angels. So mm-hmm. it was a very conscious move on the part of the angels to appear to Mary Magdalene, at least in the recounting of John, um, to, re- to appear to Mary Magdalene first. And what, what I particularly like about that scene is that, is that she's crying. She sees two white-robed angels sitting there where Jesus had been laying, and they say, why are you crying? Mm. because they are acknowledging that grief. As you said in your book, Kate, in that chapter on Mary Magdalene and the angels, they, they pay attention to her grief first. They don't, just, they don't just have her step away. They don't just say, Jesus is coming, turn around. They help her acknowledge her grief. And that in the Old Testament, in the song of Hannah, when she can't bear children, and her husband and her her, her husband says, am I not worth it to you? Am I not worth seven sons to you? And he says, why are you so sad? And then all of a sudden we have the angels saying, why are you so sad? And then Jesus comes along and he says, why are you so sad? And I'm thinking, well, what's the matter with everybody? Of course you should be sad, Mary Magdalene. But I think that's a pivotal moment when they, they say, woman, why are you crying? It's kind of making that circle from when Eve stepped out of the garden and we talked about one of our podcasts, how the angel said, you can't go back, find another way. Well, this is the other way. It's yeah. almost like Jesus remembers that moment mm. and acknowledges her grief and acknowledges the sadness and the brokenness. And then she recognizes him, but she can't get to that point without going through her grief first. And Jesus recognized that and recognizes the emotions. Um, and this is the first word from Jesus is, woman, why are you crying? Yeah, why are you crying? And so um, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty wonderful story. Pretty beautiful, yep. And Mary Magdalene still doesn't, she's seen the angels. She's kind of been a little bit emotionally prepped for something else happening. And she sees a figure and still doesn't recognize him as Jesus, right? She, she says at first, Set the gardener. <laughs> um, tough. I mean, that seems a pretty natural response. It makes me feel you talked about the humanness of Mary Magdalene, and it's another way that, like, probably if we were there, we'd, we'd respond in a similar way. Yeah, I think uh, there's such interesting biblical texts about human perception. When we assume that we understand something, we can't see it clearly. I think we do that with our loved ones a lot. We think we know them, so we don't really look at them or listen anymore. Um, Mary Magdalene thought he was dead, you know, and she could not at first open her mind, even with the prep of the angels, even with this figure appearing out of nowhere in the blue. What would a gardener be doing there at sunrise? He'd be a hardworking gardener, man. Um, You know, but she was just... She thought she knew what she was looking at. And um, it does make you wonder how often we look at things and we don't really see them because we think we already know what's there. Um, So, yeah. We fail to see the divine when it's standing right in front of us. Exactly. Yeah. So Mary Magdalene recognizes Jesus, is overjoyed, Lindsay, take us through what happens next. Well, after after she says, why are you crying? And then she um, thought he was the gardener. And she says, sir, if you have taken taken him away, let me know where he is. 
can't you just hear her? She loves Jesus so much. Her, her love is so profound in that one question. Isn't it just remarkable? She's going to, you know what I like about her, especially in that moment is she is not going to let, she is not going to let this go until she knows where he is. Even if she has to rebury him herself and drag that rock back or get help people to help her (laughs) with it. She is not going to let that body, um, be destroyed. She is not going to let this man that she has loved disappear. And mm-hmm. she is alone in that moment. And isn't she, you know, wonder Jesus, I don't, Jesus chose her. Jesus healed her. No wonder she was the one that he appeared to because she would not let him down. She would not betray him. Everybody else had betrayed him uh, and betrayed Look at Peter. Look at Peter with betraying Jesus. But she would see this through to the end, even if it meant that she'd have to go get the body from where they dragged it to and put it back in the tomb herself. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's this other funny part um, when he says, Mary, and she recognizes him at that moment because he has said her name. And she runs toward him and she says, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them that I'm going to ascend. And I'm thinking, what a, what a, there's that little secondary mini betrayal there. Of course she wants to throw her arms around him and give him a big hug is the way I see that. Now, I don't know if they were hugging in those days, um, but she just wants to hang on to him for that moment. It's almost as, it's almost a reminder of the transfiguration. Peter and James and John didn't want to come down from the mountain. And there's Mary Magdalene saying, I need this moment. And then a little part of me says, Jesus, she needs that moment. Give her that moment. Of course, he's already given her the biggest moment in the world. Um, but she doesn't, she wants to hang on to that moment because all is healed and well and make miraculous at that time. Yeah, the naming of a thing was so important in the time of the Bible, the naming of God, the naming of a human being, and the fact that he speaks her name increases her perception and opens her heart it opens her mind and in the speaking of her name she she recognizes him it's such a beautiful concept really and i think that's true when when someone that we love really says our name it's just it can be really beautiful and really edifying and make us capable of being better people um and I agree with Lindsay. It's so strange that he won't let her touch him it just makes you wonder about the resurrection itself and um, in my book, Resurrecting uh, Christ, um, I just wonder about the resurrection. He appears in so many different ways. Sometimes he lets people touch him and sometimes he doesn't. So it's, I don't know what was going on. Maybe he wasn't all, maybe he was spiritually there and not physically there. Um, so, yeah. I want to go back to this thing about she recognized him when he said her name and then she called him back mm. to and the, that, and the name that he used, and I was thinking back, even um, when we go back to, to Exodus, and the Lord says to Moses, um, I know you by name. There is something all the way through the, the thread of scripture, all the way through from the Old and New Testament. Right, exactly. Is that um, Jesus knows us by name, that mm-hmm. he knows us more than the birds in the sky and the stars in the heavens, and knows yes, us. all the hairs on our head, yes. Right. And it's just really powerful that this this ultimate moment, the recognition comes from him saying her name, and she calls him back, teacher. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And why do you think scripture says in there that it's the Hebrew 
which we because or it could be the Aramaic, right? Yeah, that right. she says, right? Right. Um, you know, there's an interesting. That's a great question, Rochelle, because there are only just a few indications of the Aramaic. There's there's uh, the Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani on the cross. There's when Jesus lifts up and resurrects that little girl who's died. When he says Talitha kum, little girl, get up. Um, there are these. Um, primal moments in which the Aramaic is referred to, and I think it's just because the spoken word at that moment was so crucial, so vital to the story, that it never was translated, and it has this kind of potency to it. So, Jesus <laughs> says, um, sees don't me, hold on to me. me. Yeah. yeah, don't hold on to me, <laughs> but then um, she goes and really becomes the first evangelist to go and tell people the good news. Yeah. She, she goes and tells them, uh, Lindsay, Kate, do you want to share the words that she announces to the disciples? And John, it's, I have seen the Lord. And can you imagine what it must have been like for them? Um, the closest I can come to it is if you say you were your parent died and you had siblings and you run to your and your your parent is in the grave and we've had the funeral and everything and you run to one of your brothers or sisters and said I've seen dad I've seen mom it's like what I yeah mean, it's just a moment of but Mary Magdalene is so excited like like the Samaritan woman by the well um, you know I've seen I've seen him I've seen the Messiah the one who is to come and. And, and, and the joy and the uh, clarity of purpose, clarity of being in that moment, God bless her. Um, and in some of the other gospel accounts, the women were really scared and trembling. In the gospel of Mark, it's originally just left off at chapter 16, where it's like they saw, the women saw him and they were trembling and scared. And that was the original ending. And uh, But Mary Magdalene, thanks be to God, gives us more strength and more joy uh, in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she really proclaims it. She really lays it out there. It's great to hear her voice, too, after all that. You know, you've read through all four Gospels. You're at the end of the Gospel of John. Finally, she talks. Yay. I mean, if you only get one line. Right, it's a good line. <laughs> Pretty good line. <laughs> if you want to say one thing, that'd be a good thing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then, as Kate said earlier, that's the last we hear of her, right? Yeah. Um, I have seen the Lord, and then we don't know what has happened, what happens to Mary Magdalene. But we know yeah. that the witness that she offers reverberates to today. Right, and it's really interesting because she's being rediscovered. Uh, and not just for women, but for those who struggle maybe with mental health issues or who have been in great suffering or turmoil, that she could become so strong that she could stay with Christ through the cross. She's such a powerful witness um, of, the, of the potential of the resurrection, even in the worst kind of circumstances. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful woman. God use, often uses what we would call traditionally broken women, and certainly men too, but broken women too. Um, to fulfill his, his purpose in the breaking in of the kingdom. And um, mm -hmm. this is just his, his four female ancestry, ancestors, uh, with the exception of one, were all from over the transom, from different places who were just broken and scarred in many ways. And Mary Magdalene, what I like about that 
that part of Jesus. What and what I particularly like about Mary Magdalene and Rahab and the ones that were broken is that they've got such an essential part to play in the story. I mean, he could have picked somebody. Jesus could have appeared to Mary, the mother, his mother, to appear back to, and well, anybody would want to see their son and tell that story. But Mary Magdalene was strong, and she was outspoken and bold and courageous and used to being kicked around, for gosh sakes. So um, isn't it It's really a wonderful thing that she had the first sighting of him? Now, there is some traditions. Mary Magdalene is um, associated with a red egg on Easter. Is that something that either of you are familiar with? There are so many different folklores and traditions that rose up around her throughout the centuries. It's a really overwhelming field, and I'm not an expert in that. I've only focused really on the texts of the Gospels. There are scholars that that do that, um, but uh, the egg was a symbol of resurrection because you know that the the birth chick busts out of the egg, and it's a great it's a great you know symbol. Um, Mary Magdalene's color was always red, which is associated with passion. Again, that image of the prostitute, the sexy, which harkens really back to um, Saint Augustine, who thought that Eve had convinced Adam to eat the fruit because she, she tempted him with her sexiness, which was all St. Augustine's crap <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> no issues, right? No. Yeah. Okay, do you, think, um, do you think that just this, when angels heralded the birth of Jesus before he was born, and they're at the tomb. Do you think like they're just flying around him, hundreds and thousands, and two of them get to be chosen to come down? Or to, to, I mean, do you think that he's just, obviously he knew that whole angelic world as much as he knows us calling us by name, but is he buddies with the angels? Is he like, are they surrounding him? Clearly they're in the wilderness with him at these, all these essential times of their life. If you just think of that, as I know you have, of the dynamics of this, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, it opens us to the notion that there are different realms of existence, and that, which makes sense because we know that we see in three dimensions. Well, we know now that there's 13 or 20 or, I don't know, quantum physicists are always coming up with more. So, you know, probably in another dimension, angels are flying right in front of all of our faces. They, they're all around us doing stuff and we're limited in our perception. And it gets back to that image of Mary Magdalene, not knowing it was Jesus until he said her name. I think part of devotion is not so much what you believe in is how are you seeing God? Do you see God? I love that phrase. Don't seek God, see God. You know, God is right here and the angels are right here. The issue is we're not seeing them because we're busy and distracted and disorganized and blinded. And, you know, so yes, I I think they were probably all around Jesus all the time, but I think they're probably all around us too. I have a friend who prays for me if I go on trips, and she's pretty compromised physically. She's had a lot of tough times recently in her own life, but she says, you know, you're, they're lining the tarmac now. They're waiting for the plane Aww. to take off, or, or look for the groups of angels in the hospital rooms. Beautiful. They're, they're coming Beautiful. to get you in your car now. You're, they're, they're going with you down the highway, <laughs> and it's like this whole new way of thinking about angels. It's pretty powerful. And, and the interesting thing, when she talks about that there's something in you that stirs, Mm-hmm. There's something in you that knows that there's a joy that comes like, wait, yes, that may really be the case. It doesn't sound like fantasy to us. It, there is a, 
a truthfulness to it uh, that there might be. I love the image of the the cheering crowd when you get to heaven too. All your loved ones are there, you know, with the welcome home sign. And there's a lot of folks waiting for us that are watching us. I think it's interesting. We have thousands of churches and not very many named after St. Mary Magdalene. Um, And I just wanted to share with you all a story. My husband and I were church planners of a St. Mary Magdalene. And, um, And we met in this very small community center until one Sunday, the community center had double booked a gun show and worship. Oh, <laughs> and that's so, an interesting combination. Right. And so we had just closed on some land just a few miles down the street and it was May. And so we moved church underneath a big oak tree mm. under on this land and set in folding chairs. And we had worship under that, that oak tree at St. Mary Magdalene every Sunday that whole summer Mm. And it never rained mm. At, mm. from 10 to noon mm. on that, that whole summer. And I thought, there are angels <laughs> yeah. here with us, yeah. and we have seen the Lord. So yeah. oh, that's beautiful. Wonderful. So, it's great to be a part of St. Mar- Mary Magdalene's story and to be her, um, to have her as an ancestor in this mm. Uh, walk of faith of Christianity. Are there any other things that you all would want to share as you've been thinking about this or, or especially as we move into Easter? Um, anything? I guess you- just look for the angels and yeah. believe in them and uh, believe in this great witness in the Bible for thousands of years. And uh, obviously we're hoping for the good angels here. I know there's not so good ones sometimes in the, uh, back there in our faith, but this is a very powerful encounter. So, yeah, let's look for the good angels. It's wonderful, Kate Lindsay. Thank you so much for your time today, and I look forward to our next conversation. And um, wish you a happy Holy Week and Easter, and um, may the angels and the spirit of Mary Magdalene always be with us as we seek to see the Lord. Thank you, thank you, Rochelle. Thank you.